today I uh, want to continue uh, in the book of Ephesians. We're we doing the last part of this series. And uh, the topic uh, is quite dark, uh, unfortunately. Uh, but I still think we can be blessed. Uh, and my title for this today's sermon is Be Blessed. You have spiritual weapons. And we're looking at spiritual warfare. Now, you know, I don't know... Uh, <laughs> how this uh, plays out in your life in a practical way. Uh, and sometimes uh, some of these things, uh, we don't know uh, what's the work of darkness, or of enemy, of, of Satan in our lives. But it does seem strange to me. Like whenever I'm preaching on this topic or bring this topic up, you know, it seems like you, I, I always just pick up resistance. So typically I do sermon prep on Tuesday. Well, I was sick all day Tuesday. You know, Wednesday morning, I'm just back to normal. You know, Monday, I'm doing just fine. <laughs> it's just one of those weird things. And it's like we're coming in today, and I'm back in my mind, and thinking, I wonder if the sound system's going to work today, or you're just going to have, you know, wires that just disconnect. I mean, just like weird stuff. I mean, I don't know if I'm just making that up or, or what, but uh, those of you that have, you know, spent some time dealing with uh, spiritual things, uh, you start noticing these things. And it's like, I don't know if it really is that, but it's kind of interesting. But uh, in, in the same kind of a vein, uh, have you ever felt like you've been really misunderstood for no apparent reason? You know, you might be like your spouse or somebody close to your kids or at work. You know, you're doing the best you can, just say the work environment and and uh, as far as you can see, you're doing a great job, or you're trying your best, or you're communicating well, but you just get so grossly misunderstood, or people like misinterpret your uh, intentions or your motives, and uh, people are questioning like your character, or they're questioning something that you really like weren't even responsible for, but they're tagging it on you, or you know some weird thing where you can't defend yourself, or even worse, somebody speaks really badly about you, or even maybe even worse than that, somebody says things about you which is a, a, a straight-out lie, and it's kind of going out there, and you can't control it. I mean, you're like, you don't know who's saying it or who's spreading it. It's just like, it's just like going, and you're just on the receiving end of just, you know, bad stuff. You, you feel it. You feel... Uh, oppressed, you feel depressed, uh, you, you, you don't have control of, of what's happening out there. Well, you know, sometimes, and again, you got to, I, I use the word sometimes, sometimes we can say that this is the work of the, any, of the enemy. Uh, one of the ways the enemy works is, is also just like sowing doubt. You doubt about your own self-confidence or doubt about your own ability or you say, you know, I'm too old uh, to take on this new thing, or I'm too young and to take on this new thing, uh, uh, or if you're middle-aged, I'm too overwhelmed to take, you know. You just start doubting uh, your ability of things which weren't a big issue for you in the past. You didn't really doubt in the past, but you're now just finding yourselves uh, dealing with doubt. For others, it's something much more tangible. It's addiction. Uh, you know, you maybe have played around with something that was that's ended up being addictive for you. Uh, it may have just been fun, or maybe everybody was doing it, 
or maybe it was just for a temporary relief from whatever pain, from depression, from feeling an outcast. And, and next minute you know you, you're stuck in addiction and now you're battling like crazy to get out of it. You know, I don't know anybody that's battled or is battling with addiction that starts off and says, you know, I really want to make my life miserable, so I'm going to get addicted. I mean, that's almost never the case. It's always the exact opposite. You know, I think this will be fun. It'll be, you know, what happened to me or, uh, you know, just for now. It's just an occasional thing. And, and the next minute you, you're stuck in addiction. You know, I, the, the question that I am trying to plant in your head is, is it possible? I'm not saying it is, but is it possible that some of this stuff might be the work of the evil one? Uh, because I think the more you work with this and the more you see this, you'll see a pattern uh, of how God works in one direction and Satan works in the complete opposite direction. And so these are the things that I want to uh, be t talking about uh, today. Uh, you know, and even in, in Proverbs, there's a, there's a proverb if you're getting involved in an argument and you just hear one side of an argument uh, or you're at work and you're hearing an employee of yours and they're giving their side of the argument and you're trying to figure out like, okay, where's the truth or what's right or what's wrong with this? But when you hear just one person's uh, side of the story, it always sounds good. I mean, it always sounds right. And you, you listen to them out and you're like, yeah, I understand. And I can see how you have such problems or I can see why you've been grieved or how you've been hurt. But there's a proverb, which Proverb 18, 17, it says, this, the first to speak in court sounds right until the cross-examination happens. <laughs> you know, and it's like, yeah. Well, when we have the other side of the story, we get cross-examined, it's like, yeah, maybe we're not, we don't have the whole truth or we're not completely right. If there's anything I want you to get out of uh, today's uh, sermon, uh, it's this. I want you to realize that the people that are a pain in your life or are causing you grief or are hurting you, uh, the battle is not against that person. This is like a big deal. If you can get this out of today's sermon, you've got, you've got a lot. The battle isn't against that person. And if you can try and thought or minimize your anger or your frustration and not vent it, at that person, but realize that there could be a strong spiritual power or force behind that person that's being used, that that person is being used by a force or power or some other darkness. Now, there is nobody that's exempt from this. Uh, think about the uh, Apostle Peter. He's just like been following Christ. He's just like this great apostle. But even he gets used by Satan uh, to say things to Jesus where Jesus has to say, get behind me, Satan. You know, so none of us are exempt from the influence of the evil one. But what I'm trying to make real clear today is our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against people. It's against the spirit or the attitude that people are presenting. And it is very helpful if we can have this mindset where we're not hating people. God loves people. We love all people. We do not love the addiction, the powers behind it, and the things that cause us or cause people 
to respond the way they respond. And to be able to differentiate uh, is extremely uh, helpful. So God, I just pray today that uh, you would pour out uh, your love on us, uh, that you'd help us with self-confidence, that you'd help us to overcome addiction, uh, but particularly that uh, you would help us uh, supernaturally to uh, overcome the enemy, to resist the enemy, to stand and to uh, remain standing even when we're being attacked, uh, but particularly, Lord, to have an attitude like you had, where you just love people, and uh, you loved all sorts of people. And, Lord, uh, that you would give us a heart of love and compassion uh, to deal with difficult people or people that disagree with us or when we find ourselves in difficult situations, that you would give us the strength and the compassion to stand, to stand for truth, to stand for you, to stand for righteousness. And so, Lord Jesus, I just uh, pray today that your presence would be here with us as I preach. And Lord, even uh, for those that might not know you, that uh, today might be the day where they can clearly differentiate between a life in darkness and a life living in your light, a light that shines on the good things and reveals the not-such-good things about this world that, in which we live. So, I just welcome your Holy Spirit to move in your name, Jesus. Amen. I'm going to be reading the text, uh, Ephesians chapter 6, uh, starting in verse 10. And a uh, well-known verse uh, talking about the armor of God. A familiar section of Scripture for, to many of you. But uh, let me read this uh, to you. A final word, and this is the New Living Translation. Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground putting on the belt of truth, and, and now it lists uh, six different uh, parts of this armor, the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness, for shoes put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all, the, all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet. And take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. And pray for me too. I'll just end right there because that just seems very nice, self-serving. Pray for me too. Okay, uh, let me just 
connect a, a physical battle that we're having uh, currently with ISIS and uh, connect that to a spiritual battle. Because if we're going to battle an enemy like ISIS, uh, one of the things you do is to try and figure out, well, who is your enemy? And in this case, like, where does the enemy live? And what is it that ISIS really wants? And what kind of tools are they using? And where are we vulnerable? And, you know, I mean, so we just ask all these questions. And we think, okay, so if we beat ISIS, what would that take to beat him? And if we get rid of one set of uh, leadership or one kind of power or one set of whatever rulers, who are we going to replace them with? And, you know, the more of these sort of questions we ask, even with something uh, like ISIS, which is tangible, we quickly realize that, man, these aren't easy questions to answer. Like, exactly who is ISIS? You know, and <laughs> what is it that they want? And why do they particularly dislike us? And, you know, so one strategy might be like, you know, I don't believe all that. I just like, you know, I just want to live my life in peace. I want to be a peace-loving person. That's just a lot of rubbish, you know. Just leave me alone. I'm just going to be loving and peaceful. Well, great, <laughs> until you have a problem. Like, you're running the Boston Marathon and, you know, the bomb blast. And it's like, wait a bit. Life-changing. So, uh, you can just, like, ignore it. Or uh, perhaps you could be more aware of, okay, what are the strategies of the enemy? Exactly who are we dealing with? And in this particular case, I'm saying, what does Scripture tell us? Uh, let's not like make up uh, spiritual ideas. Let's try and stick to what the Bible tells us. And the Bible tells us an awful lot. I mean, there's a lot about this. It's not a popular topic to preach on, on as you can imagine. I don't enjoy preaching on uh, darkness and the, and the works of the devil. Uh, I, it's, it's just not that much fun. Uh, I far prefer uh, preaching about other things. But on the other hand, I think it's vital. I think it's an area that if we understand, uh, it just a lot of things start making sense in life. Uh, you, we, we start getting an understanding. And in one way, it's encouraging. Because if we know what we're dealing with, and we understand that we have the tools to overcome, and that we can overcome, uh, it's encouraging. And that's uh, what I want to uh, talk about uh, today. So... Let me, if you've got a bulletin insert and you want to follow along, I, I've got a lot of, uh, I'm going to move pretty quickly today, and I've got a lot of points that uh, I want to make. So uh, right up front, I want to tell you the five points that I want to make about the strategies that the devil uses that we should be aware of. Now again, uh, as I just read, you know, let me find it quickly again. It says in verse 11, put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. And it's helpful to know what some of those strategies might be. I would say uh, they are these five. It's not a com comprehensive list, but a, you know, a helpful list. Uh, I'd say the biggest weapon is to convince people that he does not exist. This is Satan's biggest weapon, to try and convince us that he does not exist. Uh, the next strategy is just using dark, darkness and secrecy. 
The third one uh, is a biblical analogy that the enemy prowls around like a lion. The fourth one would be how the enemy uses our mistakes or our sins, but magnifies them or amplifies them. And then the fifth one I want to talk about is how the enemy sows doubt. Uh, sows doubt about faith and doubt about God and doubt about other people's in good intentions. Uh, so if we just, uh, if I start off with this first one about Satan and how he exists, uh, let me start with, with this idea. Uh, we're moving towards uh, Easter and we uh, are aware as we move towards uh, Good Friday and we think about what uh, Jesus endured. Uh, it just seems that what Jesus had to endure was worse than what would be normal. It just seems like there was something demonic, some evil that was being manifest that Jesus was up against. The way he was so cruelly beaten. The way he had such an unfair trial a way that uh, the crowd was more willing to have Barabbas, a murderer, released, whereas Jesus, who had done nothing but good, uh, crucified. Uh, I mean, there's the, the stuff that's happening here which you say, wait a bit, there, there, there's an undertow, there's another current, there's something uh, that's, that's you know, supernatural or evil or Satan is at work. And uh, indeed, Jesus uh, himself is explicitly telling us that that's exactly what's at work. He's overcoming, he's dealing with Satan, he's dealing with the powers and principalities that are dark, and he's overcoming them. And one of the things we're going to celebrate in Easter is that Jesus has indeed overcome what he tells us is one of the most powerful weapons of the enemy, death, where we become fearful of death, and Jesus says, listen, I'm going to overcome this most powerful weapon by rising again on the third day, which he does. And he says to us, you are also going to overcome, but we live in this interim period where Jesus hasn't returned and we may indeed die, uh, but God is telling us we have the promise of eternal life with him. We will overcome death. Uh, so, Jesus is dealing with a lot of uh, issues and winning the battle or has won the battle. Uh, but it's like the war has been won, to use Second World War analogy. You know, we've stormed the beaches at Normandy. We've overcome the enemy on the cliffs. Uh, but the war doesn't finish for another, you history buffs can tell me, six months or whatever. And in the interim, people are still dying and the battle is still raging, but essentially the war is won. Once they've overcome the enemy, it's just a mop-up operation. And in a similar way as the church, the war has been won, Christ has risen from the dead, but we're still in the mop-up operation. The enemy is still having a field day with us, but the eventual outcome is assured. We will have uh, Jesus ruling, we will rise from the dead, and we will, we will overcome. That's the, the biblical story in a nutshell. But think about how this starts. Uh, Jesus uh, has this incredible um, you know, encounter with John the Baptist. Uh, it's a public display, and we see God's Spirit poured out upon him, and people are really excited. This is, this is the Messiah. There's a lot of questions, a lot of hope. 
a lot of expectations. And the very next thing that Jesus does, he goes into the wilderness, he endures a 40-day fast, and he takes on Satan. <clears throat> Excuse me, takes on the enemy, takes on Satan. Now, the particular uh, challenge that Satan uh, produces to Jesus, uh, I want to look at. And this is uh, in Matthew 4, 8. It says this. Next, the devil uh, took him, took Jesus, to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. Verse 9, I will give it all to you, he said, if you, if you will kneel down and worship me. Imagine this. You go down to New York City, you're up on the Empire State Building, and the enemy says to you, uh, you know what? Uh, if you will just kneel down and worship me, I'll give you this whole of New York City. I mean, just look how splendid it is, look what a vibrant city it is, look at all these people. In fact, just look a little bit further north, you can see Boston down there, you can have that too. Look down south, yeah, you can see Philadelphia, yeah, that whole thing, I'll just give it all to you. Yeah, you just look over this splendid city and this land, I'll give it all to you. All you need to do is bow down, just get on your knee right here on the top of the Empire State Building and just worship me. I mean, a pretty simple thing. You do that, you got all this power. You got, I'll give it to you. As you well know, Jesus responds, Get out of here, Satan, for the scriptures say you must, not worship, you must worship the Lord your God and serve him. Then the devil went away, and the angels came back to care for Jesus. Now, what I want to point out here is this. Satan wants to be worshipped. Uh, Satan wants to be in power. And uh, there is a battle and has been a battle, and still is a battle, for this very thing. Uh, but it's not necessarily so obvious. But what I want to point out, which is obvious, is Jesus responds to Satan this way. He says, you must worship, your, you must worship the Lord, your God, and serve Him only. You know, he's quoting Scripture. But Jesus could equally have said, or uh, thought about, uh, but he doesn't. He could have said to Satan, listen, you don't have that kind of power. You don't have that kind of authority. Or if, you know, Satan's, you're in the top of the Empire State Building, you say, who the heck are you? I mean, you can't give me the power of the whole of New York City. I mean, crying out like, who are you? You're not the mayor. You're not the president. You're not like, you don't have that kind of power. Now, it would have been far easier for Jesus to have just said that to Satan. Look, you're just a big bluff. You don't have that power. You know, who do you think you are? I've got all the power. Just get away. But Jesus does not say that. He recognizes that Satan does have that power. That's the frightening part. Satan does have that power, and Jesus knows it. And if we go back to a verse that we've already looked at in Ephesians 2, 2, 2 it says this, You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. So from Jesus' standpoint, it's very dualistic. There's just two options. You either obey God, which would be to work and to live and to serve light, goodness, and God, or knowingly or unknowingly, you are serving the enemy and his kingdom, and his darkness, and he does have real power, and he can offer lots of things which are 
seemingly entertaining, good, fun, but at, an, at a price. And so when we use language in church like, you need to be saved, we're talking about being saved from that, the power of darkness, to the power of light, to God. And uh, that would be one of the explanations. But anyway, I, I'm trying to highlight what bi the Bible says about uh, darkness. Uh, the second point I want to make, if there's five strategies that the devil uses, it's this idea of using darkness or secrecy. I mean, sort of a classic analogy would be, you see a bank robber, what does he do? He puts a, a balaclava on, a ski mask on. Uh, typically, you know, if he got caught on camera, the guy's like scurrying around, hoping nobody see him. Because that's the way the enemy works. He, he wants to be, you know, underhanded, in the dark, nobody sees. And God is exactly the opposite. Do things in the light. Uh, there's nothing to hide. There's nothing to be ashamed of. Speak the truth. Encourage people. Be loving. Don't do things that are nasty or underhanded or mean. Uh, and so we have this classic uh, comparison of living the way God wants to have us live, which would be the uprighteous way, a loving way, a way that doesn't harm and harm others. In fact, is caring and loving towards others. Or you can follow unknowingly the way of the world, Satan, which is very self-centered, it's very egotistical, and either intentionally or often unintentionally, it's damaging and hurtful and difficult for those that you're in contact with. We just have to look at Ephesians 5, uh, and it says, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do. Uh, and it says, don't do this. Verse 3, let, let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed, or coarse jokes, or, you know, uh, all these things. And it says, verse 6, don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these, these uh, sins, for they anger God. But in verse 7, it says, don't participate in these things uh, as other people do, for you were once full of darkness, and now you have light. And so God shows us this comparison. So people, so live as people of the light, for the light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Be careful, determine what pleases the Lord. Take no action in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It is shameful to even talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret. But their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. For the light makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Okay, uh, quickly looking at these other strategies that the enemy uses. He prowls like a lion. First Peter 5.8, Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. And it's a helpful analogy because we know in the natural, lions attack young, they attack old, and they attack weak, or they create confusion in the pride, uh, you know, and create separation. And as a pastor, I've got to tell you that again and again, I've seen this, people have come to church, some small thing seems to happen in church, they get so upset and like, I'm just going to do it on my own. It's just me and Jesus. I can pray. I can read the Bible. And it's just like the enemy 
the lion has come, he's just separated somebody from, you know, the church, the safety of the herd, so to speak, and now somebody's alone, and the next minute they're not reading the word, the next minute they're not praying that much, and the next minute they're just easy picking. Yeah, it's a good analogy that we have from the Bible. The other one is this. He uses small mistakes to make problems big. Ephesians, back in our book of Ephesians 4.27, it says this. Uh, don't give anger a foothold for the devil. So, you know, you get angry. Uh, really what's happening in your anger, you're giving a small opening, a foothold for the devil to get in and to magnify your problems uh, and make them a lot bigger than what they should be. That's probably all I'm going to say on that. Uh, and then sowing doubt. This is the oldest trick that the devil has used, and we see this right in the Garden of Eden. Uh, in, in Genesis chapter 3, 1, the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked a woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden. You know, so, as you know the story, Eve knew what was the truth. And the enemy just, really? Did, did God really say that? Really? Really? I mean, really? If you go to church, really, will you be blessed? Really? I mean, if you just take off a few days, a month, a year, really, will it really matter? Really? If you, if you don't pray, I mean, really? I mean, God still loves you. Really? I mean, really, will it hurt you if you don't pray? I mean, really? I mean, think about tithing. Oh, my gosh. Really? If you tithe, you think you're going to be blessed? Really? Do you really think you'll be blessed? I mean, you got, really? I mean, there's a lot of other ways you can use your money. I mean, get to the church. I mean, really? The church? Of all things, of all places. I mean, really? I mean, I mean, God just has a field day with us, with, with just sowing doubt. Just Can we just put a doubt in our minds? All right. Uh, some ways of overcoming the strategies of the devil. Well, I think the best way of overcoming the strategy of the devil is to recognize the strategies. I mean, once you're aware of them, it's easy to overcome them. Uh, the, the second step, once you're aware of them, is resist. Uh, the book of James is so great because it's so short, it's concise, and everything James says, you know, this is a brother of Jesus, for crying out loud. I mean, like, he had this figured out. He didn't follow Jesus his whole life, and then after Jesus is dead, like, oh, Jesus, my brother, he really was the Messiah. I mean... We relate to James. It's like this guy's got it together. James says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Notice, like James, like there really is a devil and we really can overcome it. Just resist him. Resist him. Every time you see this strategy, the enemy, resist. Don't give in. Resist. Do the right thing. Do the right thing. Don't do the wrong thing. Do the right thing. Resist. And then as we've got it here in Ephesians, put on the armor of God. Now, the interesting thing about this armor of God is the, the kernel of this armor of God is actually in the book of Isaiah. And uh, in the book of Isaiah uh, 59, we've got God describing the situation. And it's just lawlessness. People are, are confused. Uh, in the courts, there's no justice. Uh, there's just, the whole place is just in disarray. Uh, you know, evil has sort of overcome everything. And in the midst of that, God infuses hope. And in Isaiah 59, 17, he says this. He put on, and this is really interesting because this is a future tense thing. God is talking about what Jesus is going to do like in 400 years time. And then the language is in past tense, like Jesus already done this. 
And so we read it now, and finally it's like this all comes together from a time standpoint. It's like Jesus, God said this in advance. Jesus already done this, and now we can look at it as it was written in the past tense. So follow along with me. Isaiah 59, 17. He, being Jesus, put on righteousness as his body armor and placed the helmet of salvation on his head. He clothed himself with the robe of vengeance and wrapped himself in a cloak of divine passion. And you see all the threads of that, uh, you know, pointing towards Easter and what Christ has done. But pointing out the armor of God. There's six parts to the armor, the belt of truth, the body armor, the shoes, the shield, the helmet, the sword. But look at what they represent. Truth, righteousness, peace, faith salvation, the Word of God. So what we're trying to focus on is work towards these pieces of the armor. Truth, righteousness, peace, faith, put them on. Walk in it, believe it, pray it, read it, you know, embrace it. On a daily basis, if we, in the Word of God, we're with the people of God, we participate in the church of God, and we feel like, okay, we have the protection of God, uh, that's what God would have us do. Now, I want a final point here would be about prayer as this uh, section in Ephesians closes off. It says, pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Now, with this Daniel fast that we're doing, this is what should be highlighted for us. We should be uh, praying a whole lot more and on a whole lot more occasions because every time we're craving more meat, we think, okay, I need to pray more. Every time you think, okay, I'll have a quick beer because I'm thirsty and it's, you, you start praying more. And uh, it, it's sort of like, you know, you're trying to do work. Have you ever done Google Documents, Google Docs, and you're like working on Google Docs, and you hit the thing, and it's like you're like one sentence ahead, and the internet hasn't caught up, and all of a sudden, like, the whole thing that you'd underlined just gets disappeared, and so frustrating. You go back, and you click your mouse, and like finally the internet catches up, and it's like, oh, that's what's happening. Now, what did I do? It's like cut my paragraph. I was just going to... And so frustrating because we don't have high-speed internet or there's some disconnect in the internet or, heaven forbid, the internet goes down for an hour or a whole day. I mean, it goes down for a day. Just go home. You can do nothing. I mean, like everybody's like, I'm useless. The kids are going berserk. Can't control them. Like, mom, am I going to ever possibly live? There's no internet. Well, what I'm saying is prayer should be like that for us. It's like, okay, it's getting slow. I'm not connecting with the Lord. I'm feeling like out of sync with God. It's like, God, boot up this internet thing. Speed it up. I mean, I want high, you know, I need Fios, not like Comcast, something or other. It's like the fastest thing, lightning fast, all the time. I don't want to be disconnected. I want constant prayer for everything all the time. That's what God wants us to do. He wants this constant connection with Him all the time, the good, the bad, the ugly, constantly. John 10.10 10 sums us all up. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus says, my purpose is to give us life and have it be rich and satisfying. Rich and satisfying life. So uh, I just conclude this way. Jesus, I just pray that uh, we would be able to differentiate between your love, your light, your truth, your ways. And Lord, I just pray that we would be able to connect with you that, Lord, you'd hear our prayers. You would, in fact, uh, direct our prayers. And, Lord, that we can overcome the evil that's around us, the evil that's within us. Uh, and, Lord, that we would be people that love, 
that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. You would fill us with your love. And even as we are misunderstood and mistreated, just like the Apostle Paul, his friends, the powers and principalities, the Romans, the Jews, the people in his own church, Lord God, that you would give us, like you gave the Apostle Paul, the ability to take the right path, uh, to treat people with love and with respect, but also with truth. So Lord, we acknowledge that this is very difficult to do practically. And we are very much dependent on your Holy Spirit guiding us and leading us and empowering us and equipping us. And Lord, I just pray that blessing on your people today that you empower them and you bless them and you equip them to do what's right and to resist evil at every turn. In your name, Jesus. Amen.